This is Asha Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. Today on the podcast, it's out with 2020 and on to 2021. First, we'll hear from a few audiologists and speech-language pathologists about what they are most excited for in the new year. Then, in the spirit of new starts, we bring you the story of Carrie Spangler, an audiologist who started a new chapter in her personal hearing journey. After more than 20 years in the profession, Carrie received a cochlear implant. She shares how receiving a cochlear implant affects how she thinks about her work. I think it really opened up my eyes when I became a patient again and not just a professional of all of the questions that go through your head when you make a decision like that. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's online conference, Practical Solutions for Elementary Assessment, Treatment, and Collaboration. This continuing education opportunity runs from February 17th to March 1st. Save $100 when you register by January 21st. Learn more at on.asha.org elementary. What hasn't been said about 2020 at this point? For many, it was a year filled with sorrow, as the U.S. has surpassed 350,000 deaths from COVID-19. For others, the year might be defined by economic hardships or a loss of income. Even the mundane is complicated, as we cope with masks and continue to tirelessly apply hand sanitizer. Our communication is challenged, whether it's by a faulty video chat connection or the cloth masking our face. Both conditions prompt us loudly to repeat, can you hear me? 2020 was also a year for reflection on race and racism in the U.S. The death of George Floyd sparked protests and prompted conversations on social media and with family and friends. Many are asking what their role is in writing these inequities. What a difference a year can make, not just in where we've been, but also in where we're going. With that in mind, I reached out to a few ASHA members to ask what they're looking forward to, what they're hoping for in 2021. Some of the voices are new, but if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll hear familiar voices too, like Linda Stewart, who first was on the podcast in April to talk about her experience of quarantining after exposure to the coronavirus. We'll hear from Linda first and then others as audiologists and SLPs share what they are hoping for in the new year. My name is Linda Stewart. I'm an acute care speech language pathologist for Kaiser Permanente in Southern California. I work primarily in a hospital, seeing um, patients in ICU, in the emergency department, in the general hospital. We're having a surge currently, and I'm actually getting my vaccine today, so I'm very excited about that. I'll still have to wear full PPE to see patients, which I'm fine with, but it just kind of gives me a sense of security knowing that I'll be vaccinated. I've had several close calls this year. I've been exposed six times. So far, I haven't caught it. Thank goodness. I haven't been able to hug my parents since March. So I'm really looking forward to the end to this. It's the first time we have a sense of hope, and that's kind of changes the whole outlook. For this podcast, I spoke to Linda at the end of December, just a couple of hours before she was scheduled to receive her first vaccine dose. And I'm just really thankful that I was included since I am a frontline worker and I do high risk procedures like suctioning patients' trachs and cleaning, doing oral care. I'm very close to the patients physically. Even with full PPE, I feel like there's always been a risk. I'm looking forward to my family being able to get together 
seeing my friends, um, not having COVID the forefront in my mind, seeing my grandkids, you know, all of that, just things that we used to take for granted that just hasn't been possible this year. Katie Strong is an assistant professor at Central Michigan University in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders. Katie's hopes for the new year also include the vaccine and a safer in-person environment, but she also includes hopes for the role technology might continue to play in the clinic and the classroom. Before this conversation, I first spoke with Katie for an ASHA Voices episode about the pandemic in March. We did, and you know, JD, when we spoke earlier, things were really in chaos halted services for clients in our clinics, students pulled from internships, and we were scrambling for clock hours for students to support their on-time graduation. Since then, we've really adjusted more to online experiences, both in the classroom and clinic. Our clients have adjusted to technology skills that we never dreamed were possible, and beautiful relationships were developed through clinic. I guess I hope that our clients will continue to use technology to support their communication and connect with others. One of the things I really hope for is that we developed a lot of beautiful relationships in quarantine through virtual format with our clients and students, and I hope that we'll be able to continue those types of relationships. And one last hope is that we've had a lot of talk about self-care, and it's been in the forefront of our conversations, the importance of taking care of ourselves and having a balance between work and life. And I hope that that conversation will continue and that all of us will be able to really make self-care an important part of our lives so that we're able to really provide the best available services for our clients. My name is Derek Stiles. I'm an audiologist and also the new director of the Centers for Communication Enhancement at Boston Children's Hospital. In the new year, I'm really looking forward to meeting my colleagues face-to-face again. I'm hoping that the travel restrictions that we endured in 2020 will be listed and we'll be able to have conferences in person and I can reconnect with all my friends and colleagues that I've missed this past year. You know, when I think of the conferences, I, I think of my friends who are my colleagues who I've made over several years and the serious times we have together learning, but also the really fun times we have in the evenings after the conference days are over and we get to, you know, mix and mingle and, and have a lot of fun together. My name is Megan Flood, and I'm a speech-language pathologist based in the Madison, Wisconsin area. Currently, I work at a school setting in rural Wisconsin, serving early childhood through second grade populations, and I also spend one day a week at a private outpatient clinic working with young children on the autism spectrum in Madison. 2020 was a year of a lot of growth and a lot of changes. I got married on the 14th of March, and then Wisconsin area completely shut down schools and businesses by March 17th, and I started my job on March 18th. So we had a rapid-fire series of life changes. Looking ahead to 2021, I am very much hoping for a year of health, a year where we have 
better improved systems to keep our professionals and our children safe in whatever setting they're at. I'm very, very much looking forward to being with family and friends who I have not seen since the wedding in March and for a year that makes 2020 feel like a glimmer of the past. This is Lisa Cannon. I am the current EAA president. That's the Educational Audiology Association, and I'm an educational audiologist in Denver Public Schools. I'm actually super hopeful that some of the momentum that we've created in 2020 with accessibility will continue into the new year. We were really catapulted to a new format in the virtual realm, and a lot of focus was paid to accessibility for people who have hearing loss, including captioning. And so I'm hoping that in 2021, we can continue that momentum that everyone will keep that focus on the importance of communication and hearing and accessibility. I, I think we've come a long way and I'd like to see it continue. My name is Dr. Shamika Stanford, a.k.a. the Juvenile Forensic SLP. I am the speech and language pathologist who does forensic work for youth involved with the criminal justice system. Something I am hoping for and looking forward to in 2021 is that the profession continues to be intentional on doing the work, addressing cultural differences, cultural diversity, and cultural awareness, and that we continue to put uh, practice behind our words and evoke change. I would love to see it play out in the curriculums of the various communication disorders programs across the United States. I would absolutely love to see it play out in the diversity of the faculty, particularly black um, and African American women with PhDs, and I would be grateful to see it play out in the diversity of the student body that are accepted into and graduate from the various communication disorders programs across the United States. We know that 2020 has been an eye-opening time for many of us. It has also been a time of highlighting the disparities, the disproportionate representation, and the hardships of uh, black race and black students and black faculty. And so the necessity is highlighted in what 2020 has brought again to the forefront and um, hoping that 2021 takes what was brought to the forefront and intentionally addresses what needs to be addressed. My name is Fong Lynn Palafox, and I'm a speech-language pathologist out of Austin, Texas. My pronouns are she and her. And in 2021, what I'm most excited about is watching my professional peers, my speech-language pathologists, begin to unveil the aches and the woes within the work that we do in the schools and in the clinics and in the hospitals. And I think 2020 has exposed and it's been a reckoning um, for the work that we do with our families and also for all of us in terms of cultural responsiveness. And I feel that as we start to tell our stories and where we come from and what's meaningful to us and for our BIPOC community members, we're going to really show and demonstrate through these stories and through these experiences and sacred paths 
where we really need to invest our time and in humanity. So in 2021, as I work alongside school districts and state organizations about strategies for cultural responsiveness, I am so fueled by these unveilings and that they're really going to make an impact for our students, our students of color, our students with native language superpowers from all over the world. And this is what keeps me um, excited and hopeful for our field. My name is Crystal Lilly, and I am an audiologist, and I work at Hearing Solutions Audiology Center, which is a private practice in Maryland. So one thing I'm hoping for in 2021 is continued access for remote care for patients who, unrelated to the pandemic, can have more access to quality health care and quality patient care moving forward. I believe that this is long overdue because there are patients who are either bedbound or have transportation issues who aren't able to come in and seek health care or seek help or seek adjustments based on their limitations that are out of their control. So enable to have a more cohesive healthcare system by including giving accessibility to those patients unrelated to the pandemic. Of course, the pandemic is why we have it now, but moving forward, this tool would be a great use. My name is Stacy Crowley. I'm from Asheville, North Carolina. I'm an SLP and a literacy specialist, and I work in private practice. I think that more than ever before, we're experiencing collective trauma because of the pandemic, and that calls for mindfulness, awareness, and stress management. Stacy says she's planning to help SLPs focus on emotional intelligence in 2021 as a part of a training program known as Search Inside Yourself. My 2020 was really marked not only by the pandemic, but by a personal health journey that was kind of mysterious, and we landed on Lyme's disease, but it found me incapacitated and debilitated for several months and really humbled me and helped me find gratitude for the simple things in life, helped me prioritize what's most important. And I think the pandemic on a global level is really helping all of us prioritize what's essential in our lives, in our work, and in our relationships. I'm happy to move forward with this new understanding and bring some emotional intelligence to our field and to the world. My name is Dr. George Castle, and I am a clinical assistant professor at New York University. This year has been a tumultuous year in a lot of ways, but it's also been a good year in that um, we have learned to re-examine how we look at the field of speech pathology and how we uh, cultivate the, the next generation of speech pathologists. George outlines four specific things he wants to see in 2021. He wants graduate programs to reimagine their admissions process to identify students who succeed as SLP students, specifically students who don't come from traditional avenues. He wants higher education to re-examine policies that perpetuate inequity and change those policies. His third hope, greater alignment between the culture in graduate programs and the culture in field placements. Finally, number four. I just want to identify ways to recruit and develop BIPOC students in a way that facilitates retention and graduations. I know those are lofty, ambitious asks 
for the new year, but I think that this year we have definitely begun that journey and I'd love us to continue to take steps in those directions because that is ultimately what's going to make us successful and more appealing as a field so that more people would want to come in and be speech language pathologists and audiologists. Those are just a few voices, and I know they can't capture the breadth or the depth of the past year's events or what may be before us. My wish for listeners is that you're able to start this year with hope, whatever that means for you. If you feel you didn't hear what you are looking forward to in the new year, give us a call. You can reach us at 301-296-5804. 301-296-5804. We're taking a quick break. We'll be back with one of my favorite stories from the past year. Support for Asha Voices comes from ASHA's online conference, Practical Solutions for Elementary Assessment, Treatment, and Collaboration, from February 17th to March 1st. This continuing education opportunity will explore topics and approaches for assessment and intervention for elementary students with various communication issues. You can earn up to 2.55 ASHA CEUs, save $100 when you register by January 21st. Learn more at on.asha.org elementary. We're celebrating a new year, but also we have a birthday of sorts in the house. In December, audiologist Carrie Spangler celebrated the one-year anniversary of the activation of her cochlear implant. I'm going to turn it on. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hear it. I hear it. Yeah. Carrie is an educational audiologist. She was diagnosed at a young age with a mild sloping to profound hearing loss in both ears. After more than 20 years as an audiologist, Carrie received a cochlear implant, and she tracks the experience on her blog. It's called Hearing Spanglish, a play on her last name, Spangler. In the spirit of fresh starts and new beginnings, we're bringing you a conversation with Carrie today. I spoke with her in March of last year about her cochlear implant journey and how it's changed how she thinks of her career. At the beginning of the conversation, I asked her about the moment we just heard when the cochlear implant was activated. So one of the things I think I just wanted to say is that I have a wonderful support of audiologists who have hearing loss who have received cochlear implants along the way. And they had kind of given me a heads up that activation day may be the worst hearing day of your life. So it's not the same as seeing some of those YouTube videos where everybody's really happy during those videos. But it was a long process and exhausting appointment. And that day I was so excited and I was so nervous at the same time because there was so many thoughts that were going through my head. But I would say the first part of that activation was just figuring out what was the softest and most comfortable levels for each of the different electrodes in the electrode array. So that was just hearing beeps and trying to figure out what a soft sound was and what a comfortable sound was. And then after we figured out all of those for the individual electrodes, the audiologist turned them all on together. So that was really my first hearing moment with the cochlear implant when all of the electrodes were activated at the same time. And uh, I had my daughter and my husband with me and the audiologist, and they were talking. And all I could think of is I'm hearing beeps and I'm hearing whistles and I'm hearing chirps. And it's really hard to explain something that you, first of all, have never heard before. And then you're hearing through 
an electronic signal rather than an acoustic signal. So it was pretty overwhelming at first. And to explain that during my appointment was really overwhelming too. So all I could say is that it just sounds weird the whole time. (laughs) We're going to come back to this topic of what it sounds like and how your relationship with the sounds changed over time. But I'd like to kind of go back and get us to the point where the cochlear implant was activated. What led you to deciding to get the assessment that eventually ended up with you receiving a cochlear implant? That is a good question. So I would say the last couple of years, it has been more difficult for me to hear and listen and communicate. And I think most of us don't always want to admit that there's something wrong or or different that's going on in your life. And you might procrastinate how you go about finding out what the cause is. And I would say I did procrastinate for a little while in the sense that I kept thinking, well, maybe my hearing aids just aren't powerful enough, or maybe I'm just not paying attention as well as I should be, or maybe I'm multitasking and that's why I'm missing what people are saying, or maybe people are just mumbling and they don't speak up. So I had all of these excuses of why I didn't want to get tested. But on the other hand, every morning I would wake up and there's a little voice inside my head that kept saying, Carrie, you need to figure this out. You need to go get tested. You need to go see what your options are. And I work with families on a daily basis and their kids who have gone through that process. So I know from a professional perspective, the success that a lot of the students that I have the opportunity to work with have. And so finally, I think over the last couple of years, every time I had an opportunity to ask questions to whether it's a recipient that has a cochlear implant, whether it was an ENT or a cochlear implant audiologist, I always ask um, those questions. And the seed that was planted kept growing. And finally, I made that phone call to have the consultation done. You had your assessment in July of 2019. The surgery is scheduled for November. You wrote a little bit about your experience in between the two on your blog. At one point you say, I am fearful because I know after getting a CI, I will never hear the same again. I'm excited because I know that after getting a CI, I will hear in a new way that I've never heard before. And you also wrote about experiences where you might be in public, say a restaurant or something, and think this could be the last time that you'll hear like this, meaning wherever you are, that you are aware that the place would sound different after your surgery. And I was hoping you'd tell me a little bit about anticipating this change. Yeah, and I think... My blog, I really tried to write it in real time so that all of those emotions as I was building up to that time, would I wouldn't forget about it. So during that time leading up to the surgery, I really took note about all of those different situations that you were just mentioned. You know, how do I hear in a restaurant and how hard is it for me to hear in this restaurant? Or how do I hear in the car and how difficult is it for me to hear in the car? talking on the phone, listening to music. I've always worn hearing aids my whole entire life. So 
I didn't want to forget what my normal was. The night before your surgery, you stayed at a hotel near the hospital where your surgery would take place. And you wrote also on your blog that when you woke up, you put your hearing aids in as you had almost every morning of your life. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about that moment, the day of your surgery. Yeah, so it was a very nerve-wracking day, of course, with surgery. But I honestly, I think I had done so much research and thought and prayer about everything that I really felt at peace that morning with the whole process. I felt confident in my surgical team and and Dr. Oliver Dunker was my surgeon and felt confident with him. I felt really confident in the decision that I had made as far as the cochlear implant center goes. And so my husband was with me that day and we had a really nice dinner the night before and got up and got to the hospital early on in the morning, about 6.30 in the morning. I know my surgery was scheduled for about nine o'clock. The last thing I remember is really looking up at the clock about 9.15 and then about 11.45, I was awake again. Uh, My husband did say about 10.20, he received a phone call from Dr. Adanka saying everything went well. She's in recovery and so you'll get to see her soon. About 1.30 in the afternoon, we were driving back home for my recovery period. Earlier, we heard the sound from a video of when your cochlear implant was activated. And I want to know, in time, how did your relationship with your cochlear implant change? What are some of the things that you could hear now that surprised you? So it's been a journey. It's really a set of lots of different programming and mapping and getting used to along the way. So I know firsthand it was right around Christmas time. So there was a lot of Christmas music that was on the radio and playing in in the home. And um, those are just a lot of music that we've grown up with. So it's familiar music and lyrics and things like that. And um, one of the things that I really noticed was how much I had missed as far as music goes. My hearing loss is really profound in the high pitches. So that's where a lot of music occurs is in the high pitches. So I felt like I had almost a, a splitter cable going to my ears. My hearing aid side had all of the bass going to that side. And then my cochlear implant had all of the treble and the high frequency sounds going to that side. I was hearing so many more sounds with the cochlear implant that I didn't know were there. Another, I think, awakening for me was with our dog. The dog has tags on the collar, and I didn't realize how loud those were when the dog was walking around the house. So we had to take the collar up for a little while until I got used to that sound for a bit. So there was just a lot of sounds in the environment that I didn't know were there, and I was constantly searching to figure out, what is that? What is that? What is that? Microwave beeping, the turn signal in the car little things like that, that people with normal hearing probably take for granted and don't think about those sounds. 
but when you're hearing them for the first time, they really stand out to you. You're an educational audiologist. How did receiving a cochlear implant affect how you think about your work? I think it has helped me in a great way with my work. Being an audiologist with hearing loss allows me to offer a lot of empathy uh, in the 20 years that I have been in the field. So I have another perspective that not every audiologist has, especially because I grew up with hearing loss. Getting a cochlear implant has helped as well because it is something that a lot of our families choose to do uh, if they uh, really want their child to listen and hear and develop spoken language and their child has a significant hearing loss a lot of times the cochlear implant is going to be the amplification that will allow them to have good access to sound so i'm an open book and my blog i think is another avenue that families can look at to see that the process is emotional. Why do you think that is an important thing to note, that that it's an emotional journey as well as a a hearing journey and a a physiological one? Well, I think with every choice or decision that anyone makes in their life, it's going to impact you emotionally. And I think it really opened up my eyes when I became a patient again, and not just a professional of all of the questions that go through your head when you make a decision like that. Because once you get a cochlear implant, it's not like a hearing aid where you can decide, okay, well, this one didn't sound too good, so I'm going to try a different hearing aid. One of the greatest parts of my emotional journey was having others who have gone through the process there for me. And I think that is one of the main things that I would like people to realize, professionals, is that you have to get families or patients who might be thinking about this connected with others who have already gone through that process because they were the people that I could ask any question to, and they all had a different or similar experience or feeling that they went through. So I knew that the ups and downs or the roller coaster of emotions that I was going through were normal, that everybody goes through those. But it's important for families and patients to realize that, hey, it's, it is an emotional journey and it is okay to have all of those feelings. Carrie Spangler, she wrote the blog Hearing Spanglish. You can go there and read her entire journey of receiving a cochlear implant. Carrie, thank you for your time. Thank you. Carrie continues to update her blog, Hearing Spanglish. She's written about how the pandemic, face coverings, and social distancing have made it more difficult to communicate. She shares, quote, Although I had known the masks and physical distancing were going to be a part of reopening, I did not realize the significant impact that it would have on me until I ventured out, end quote. We'll put a link to Carrie's blog on the ASHA Leader website. Find the blog post for this episode at leader.pubs.asha.org. 
ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's online conference on voice. It's called Practical Solutions for Elementary Assessment, Treatment, and Collaboration, and it begins February 17th. Save $100 when you register by January 21st. Learn more at on.asha.org elementary. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.